Our time is short. Fortunately, I prepared a short message. <laughs> right. Um, there's something about home, about connecting, about the familiarity of home, the comfort of home. And while it may not be true for all of us, it's true for most of us. We like to come home. Just this morning, I got surprised right during the fellowship time when Billy and Olivia came up and gave me a hug. There's something about coming home, isn't there, Billy? Yeah, absolutely. We all want to go home. A Harvard study done in conjunction with the last U.S. sentence said this, and it measured 26-year-olds. Why they picked 26-year-olds, I don't know. But they picked 26-year-olds, and 60% of 26-year-olds live within 10 miles of where they grew up. 60%. Some parents are like, that's because they never leave home. 80%, though, live within 100 miles of where they grew up. There's something about going home. The average American lives 18 miles away from their mother. 18 miles. Some of you live on the next property over. But the average American lives 18 miles from their mother. In our text today, Jacob just wants to go home. He just wants to get home. And he asked to be sent home. And, and honestly, he has accomplished the purpose for which he has been sent so far away from home. He, he got away from his angry brother Esau, and, and he was sent away to marry one of Uncle Laban's daughters, and he got a twofer, didn't he? He got a twofer in the deal. He ended up with two of Uncle Laban's daughters, and he's given up 14 years of his life to get these two wives, their two servants, and we know of at least 11 sons and one daughter. I would say that he fulfilled the mission for which he was sent, wouldn't you? Most likely he wants to get back to see his parents, but he wants to return to the land that God has promised to him. And that's where we find him this morning in chapter 30, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Stop right there for a second. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, it was like it, it flipped a switch in his mind. Remember, Rachel is the wife that he really loves. He's the one that he had worked for really for 14 years. Leah was thrown in, if you will, early on into this deal. As soon as she has a child of her own, not saying it's right, not saying that I'm condoning Jacob's actions, but as soon as he has a son with Rachel, what does he want to do? He wants to take that boy home and show him off to his daddy and to his mom. So as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my home and country. Give, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you pious self-talker. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep, 
keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look at my wa- into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred, when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the whites of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, and camels and donkeys. And Lord, our time is so short. But even in a brief time, I pray that you would use the word to challenge our, our hearts, Lord. Speak to us, Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three makes this kind of almost proverb-like statement where it says this, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? And what is the answer to those two questions, church? No, they can't. Sinners, and that the point of this, sinners can't change their sinful natures, only who can? Only God can change a sinful nature. Uncle Laban is a deceiver at heart. And what are deceivers going to do, church? They're going to deceive. And so he is going to continue to manipulate and deceive. And if I were Jacob, I wouldn't trust him for as far as I could see him. And I would absolutely want to get away from the guy and go home, wouldn't you? He's been deceived enough. He's been taken advantage of enough. Hopefully, he's learned his lesson about deception. But what I want you to first see in this is I want you to see Jacob's heart. I think Jacob often gets a bad rap because as soon as we think of Jacob, we think of deceiver, right? We think of guy who's always trying to pull one over on somebody. But I think that Jacob by this time has had a heart change. Notice when he comes to Uncle Laban, what he asks for to go with. In verses 25 and 26, he asked very simply for what he came there for and what he had worked for. What was the original contract that, that Jacob had served under Laban for? I will work seven years for a wife, correct? Did Laban honor the contract? Kind of, right? Kind of. He thought he was getting Rachel, but who did he get? He got Leah, right? So what does he do? He says, you know what? I really, 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 really want Rachel. So what does he enter into a second contract for? Another seven years. So now we're at the end of 14 years. 
And he comes to Uncle Laban and he basically says this, I have fulfilled my part of the deal. I've lived up to it. 14 years I've served you and now I'm asking you to do this. Verse 26, give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you that I may go and know that the service, for you know the service that I have given you. In other words, what he's saying is, I've done, my, I've done my work for you. I've fulfilled my contract. How unlike the American worker Jacob is. How unlike the average American worker. The average American worker would show up and say this, I've given you what you asked for, but I want what I've agreed to, what? Plus. Plus. I want more. Go back to chapter 28 and remind yourself what Jacob's prayer was when he came. Remind yourself what Jacob's prayer was when he came to paid Anaram. Then Jacob, verse 20 of 28, says this, made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way, that I go and will give me what? What did Jacob want? What did he ask for of God? Two things. I want clothes and I want food. He's not a greedy man. He's not a greedy man. He, he's not looking to get rich off of Uncle Laban. And, and, and he, he gets everything that God had promised him, and he fulfills his work for Uncle Laban, and now he just wants to take what is rightfully his, and he just wants to go home. Can I say this to us this morning in the brief time that we have? What has God promised to supply for you and me? Does he promise to supply every want that you and I have, or does he promise to supply our needs? He promises to supply our needs. Has he met Jacob's needs here through all of this? He absolutely has. And can I say this to us respectfully? It is not wrong to work hard just to have your needs met. There is nothing wrong with giving an honest day's labor just to get your needs met. And what we have bought and what we have believed is our right in, in, in the society that we live in is, if I work hard, I should get all my needs and I should get all the toys that come along with it. Is that ever a promise in Scripture? That might be in a promise of the American dream, whatever that is. I'm not so sure that's a great dream anymore. But that's not the promise of Scripture. We're not commanded ever to seek wealth. Now, let me say this. Is wealth evil? No, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil, right? Wealth itself is not evil. So don't look around the room and look at who's, who's carrying the Gucci and wearing all this stuff and say, oh, they're evil people. No. Wealth is not evil. But if wealth keeps you and I from doing what we're called to do to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then it's become an evil thing. But what God has promised is, is if you seek me first, I will take care of all of your needs. And I think now, Jacob, it's finally just sinking in for him now. It's finally starting. It only took him 14 years, but it's starting to sink in, right? But Uncle Laban's going to do what Uncle Laban does, doesn't he? And when we get to verse 27, Laban, what we know about Laban is, and what we have read so far about Laban is, Laban is a flatterer, isn't he? Laban's full of flowery speech, and Laban always is working an angle. You know those kind of people that are always working an angle? Laban's working an angle. And, and, and he says this in verse 27. He says, I have learned by divination 
That is a really hard phrase for Hebrew scholars to translate, and honestly, I wish they would have put it in the Bible that I read from the ESV. I wish they'd have put it this way, that, that I have become rich, because that phrase could be also translated that way, I have become rich. And really what, what Laban is saying is, hey, you have made me wealthy. Now, what we know about Uncle Laban, do we know that he just hands out compliments willy-nilly? Is that his way? No, he's handing out a compliment to get something from him, isn't he? He's, he's buttering him up for something. And he also realizes this. He realizes that if Jacob leaves, this is the golden goose who lays the golden eggs. Right? He doesn't want him to go. He doesn't want to let that blessing get away. And so he says, if I found favor with you. Well, no, you really haven't found favor with Jacob. And so now he opens negotiations in verse 28. Name your wages and I will give it. Name your wages and I will give it. Now if you're Jacob, what is ringing in the back of your mind right now? I named my wages once before, right? Did he deliver? There's an important lesson in here. Hey, church, look up here. What is that thing between your ears and your head? Is it called a brain? Who gave that brain to you? Who gave that brain to you? In that brain, did he put some sense? Some of you I wonder, but no, just teasing. Did he put some sense in there? Does he want us to use that sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so Jacob here really needs to be very careful, doesn't he? He needs to exercise some wisdom here, doesn't he? So in verse 29, he answers. He's like, okay, Uncle Laban, you've opened up negotiations. You want me to stay and work? You're going to have to pay for my services. Verse 29, you yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. And in verse 30, he points out the obvious. You had a small flock before I came, and now after 14 years, Laban, you are quite wealthy. You have a lot. Okay? Let's, let's, let's put two and two together. Before I came, you didn't have much. Now I've come. I have been a shepherd boy all my life. I was raised to, to, to be a flock man, and I'm, still, I'm a pretty good flock master, and I have made you wealthy. So here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's what I'm going to do. Don't give me anything, verse 31, except this. Jacob's not manipulating here. Jacob's using wisdom here. I, I believe that Jacob is a changed man now. He's using wisdom here. And what he says is this. You won't give me anything if you'll do this for me. I will again. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be your head ranch hand right here. I will be the one who will pasture your flocks if, verse 32, you let me do this. You let me go through the flock today and you take and let me have all the speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and every speck, spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. And you say to yourself, why? why? Why those? Those are the cute ones, right? Those are the really cool ones. They were not highly valued. The wool from those sheep was not valued. And, 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 and the goats were undervalued because they were spotted and they were speckled. They were considered to be weaker. And so Jacob is saying, and Laban is thinking to himself, he's like, you're an idiot. Sure, I'll go along with this, but Laban is always working an angle, isn't he? 
Laban's always working an angle. Notice Laban is, is quick, and Jacob points something out too. Jacob's a man of integrity. Notice that in verse 33, Jacob wants to protect his integrity. One of the reasons he's taking spotted and speckled and black is that those are pretty easy to spot, right? And so what he says to Uncle Laban is this, at any time you can come over to my flocks, you can take a look there, and you will know whether or not I've been honest with you, right? You'll know. He's protecting his integrity here. If we can say anything about Jacob, he has been a man of integrity. Did he work the full 14 years for both wives? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he, he, he may have deceived his brother a long time ago, and, and he may have deceived his father. He may have been pulling the fast, but, but now he's become a man of integrity. It's amazing what 14 years away from home and having to live in hardship will do to make you a man of integrity. But Laban is not a man of integrity, is he? What does Laban do? Verse 35. He, re- he removes all the striped, the spotted, the speckled, the spotted, and every lamb that's black, and he puts them in the charge of his sons, and he says this, hey, I don't care where you go, just make sure it's about three days away. Get these out of here now. Head them up, round them up, get out, get out of the way, three days away. Why? Well, because... I don't want Jacob to have anything. I need Jacob to be poor so that he's always indebted to me. Be careful. Be careful of being coming indebted to the world around you. Be careful of becoming indebted to the world around you. The world wants to make you indebted to the it. The Proverbs point out that the borrower is what? The servant to the who? The lender. Not saying you don't borrow money, but what I'm saying is be careful of who you're in debt to. Now, I should point out that the customary arrangement for a shepherd during this time was to get 10 to 20% of the flock, plus get a cut of whatever came in from the wool and whatever came in from the, from the milk, from the goats. Jacob is offering a deal to Laban, and Laban is so conniving and so dishonest, he doesn't even take a good deal. He has to make it even better for himself. So now we come to this really interesting situation. Do you suppose, the scripture doesn't tell us, but do you suppose that Jacob, whenever he goes and he checks out Laban's flock that he's now been put back in charge of, do you suppose he notices that there's no speckled there? Do you think he knew that there were some there? Do you, do you think he notices that there's no black sheep there? There's no record of Jacob complaining about this, is there? Jacob, Jacob has made an agreement with Laban, and he's going to do the hard work of honoring his side of the agreement. But he's also going to use the, that thing between his ears that God has given him, isn't he? And so here's what he does. We have this whole section about the sticks, right? And you're like, what's up with the sticks? Verse 37, he takes fresh sticks of poplar, almond, and plane trees and peels streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks, and he puts them in the watering troughs, okay? What is going on here? Well, there's a couple different ways that we can interpret this. One interpretation is, is that that was a superstition of the time. Now, let me just tell you something. If you have goats or if you have sheep, and you go to this trouble, I can guarantee you, you are not going to change the outcome of what what they breed like, okay? 
It's a total superstition. There's no science in this, okay? Trust my science, okay? Some of you got that. There's no science in this. Another interpretation is, is that the sticks, when the bark was peeled off, they put off a stimulant that increased breeding activity. Now that might make some sense here, right? So, so they, Jacob, Jacob, and notice that Jacob only put the sticks in the water at a certain time, right? Verse 39, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled and spotted, and Jacob separated the lambs and the faces of the flocks. Now, if he were to do that, it would take a really long time for him, though, to get this super herd of spotted goats and lambs, wouldn't it? It would take a long time. Some of you are in 4-H. You know what I'm talking about, right? Fortunately, God doesn't leave us as to wondering what happens here. Let's fast forward to chapter 31. And let's look. Now, Jacob is really ready to go by the time we get to chapter 6. And he's talking to his wives. In verse 6, he says this. He's talking to Rachel and Leah. And he says, you know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. I bet that was a fun conversation, don't you? Your father is a dirtbag, is basically what he said. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. If he said, the stripes shall be your wages, then all the flock bore stripes. Understand what's going on. Not only did they make the arrangement, but then Laban changed the rules, didn't he? Hey, this month you're only getting the spotted. That's after he went through and inspected and there's no spotted. Then he says, next month you're getting the striped. Laban keeps changing the rules. Look at verse 39. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Did it have anything to do with the sticks, church? Church, did it have anything to do with the sticks? Who did it have to do with? We shouldn't be surprised about this. Because all through our time in Genesis... All we have seen is in spite of man's unfaithfulness, in spite of conniving sinful people working against us, who is the one who is always faithful, church? God is. We shouldn't be surprised. We, we, we ought to think of the words of David in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, Lord. Did Jacob make himself rich or did God make Jacob rich? church. Who made him rich? God did. God did it. And let's understand something here. When God promises something, He's going to deliver what He has promised. Go back with me again to chapter 28. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. God promised three things, basically, to, to Jacob as he was, remember, this is at Bethel, and he, he, this is where, you know, he, the, the, the ladder, the stairway coming out of heaven comes down. The three things, remember, that he promised. So verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above, stood above this stairway to heaven. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. Okay, you tell me, if you've had 12 children that we know of in 14 years, do you feel like your offspring are like the dust of the earth? 
Moms, do you feel that way? Some of you only have two or three. Does it feel like, like the dust of the earth? Is God answering his promise? Absolutely he is. Your offspring should be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He's already made two promises. He's made a promise of land, of possession, right? And he's made a promise of posterity. There's going to be a lot of people, right? So, so he's given him a land. He's given him a people. But he also promised to him as you keep going, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. He has promised his presence and protection. And part of the way that God gives us protection is by supplying our needs, isn't it? You tell me, did God supply Jacob's needs and then more? Have you ever traveled with kids? It takes a lot to travel with kids, doesn't it? Twelve kids? Does it take a lot to travel with twelve kids? It's going to take some camels. It's going to take some servant help, isn't it? It's going to take a lot of food. Where did that all come from, church? Where did that all come from, church? Are you awake? Was it Jacob's cunning ability to breed sheep and goats? Or did it come from God? It came from God. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we get to the next chapter and Jacob's heading back and Jacob's thinking back, when I came in to pay to Aram, it was just me, just me. And now he's leaving and he's looking around like, where did all this come from? Well, I can tell you where it came from, Jacob. It came from there. Is that clock right? <sighs> Stupid video. I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what do we learn from this? What do you take home from this? What what does your heart need to hear? Well, here's a couple things your heart needs to hear. It's okay to work hard for the wages that you've agreed to work for. It's okay to work hard for the wages that you've agreed to. Little hard work never hurt anybody. It was Jacob's 14 years of hard work that got his heart back right with God. Little hard work is good. God made us to work. After all, he put Adam and Eve in the garden to do what? They were there to take care of the garden. I don't know about you, taking care of a garden is work. Now, in, the, in, its, in its original state, it was perfect work. Their sin screwed it up, and it screwed up the for the rest of us, right? But it was still work, wasn't it? It's okay to work hard and to do it heartily as to the Lord. It's a good thing. Number two, where does your wealth come from? Kids in this room looking around and seeing the adults and thinking and dreaming big, you know, one day I want to be able to do this, I want to own this, I want to have this. Understand this, the things that your parents have, the things that, that, that you see other people have, that stuff didn't come from them, it came from God providing it for them. It took Jacob 14 years, but there's a third thing I want us to think about. 
Do you think Jacob at the end of these 14 years understood that it was wise to live by faith? Imagine Jacob leaving that negotiation with Laban and he goes and he looks at the flocks that he's now back in charge of and he's looking for the spotted and the speckled and the black and what does he not see? Doesn't see any spotted, doesn't see any speckled, doesn't see any black lambs. He doesn't complain about it. I've got to believe in that moment. His heart gets aligned with God's and he says, okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do here, but this is the arrangement for how I'm going to get back home and I'm counting on you to supply it. There's a problem with having too much stuff. One, it's a lot to take care of, right? But one of the problems of having too much stuff is this, is where do we put our confidence? In the stuff, right? We put our confidence in the stuff. And all stuff breaks eventually, doesn't it? It all falls apart. It, it, even if your stuff is in a bank account somewhere, eventually somebody's going to steal that somehow, some way, right? It's going to be somebody that you have to pay in a large bill. It's going to be, it's going to be you know, somehow, some way. Even when you die, you have to pay money to die. Am I not right? Somebody is going to take your stuff. You know what can never be taken away from you? The things that your heavenly Father gives to you. His salvation. His goodness, His grace, His love. Now, that stuff comes in handy to know how to live. It's, it's nice to have a house. It's nice to have a car to drive, isn't it? But that stuff's all going away. But what we celebrated here in the communion meal, that cup of fellowship, if you're in Christ, that cup is never going away. The cup of wrath was put away for you so that you could have the cup of fellowship that you can have a, a relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's never going away. So what do we learn from Jacob? <laughs> we learn that stuff is just stuff and it's not important. What's really important is that you put your faith and your trust and your confidence in Almighty God. So much more I could say, but that clock is my enemy. So I'm going to pray and I think the worship team is going to come up and close us in one song. Father, it's been a good day.